the lady was so poor, she didn't know how she was going to get any groceries. She was completely out of groceries. She didn't know what else to do. So she got down on her knees on this hot summer day with all her windows wide open, and she prayed earnestly to God, God, I don't know how you can do this, but I'm hungry. It's been a while since I've eaten, and I, I don't have any money. I don't have any way to get money. I don't know how I'm going to get groceries, but I need groceries. And she begged him, Lord, please, please provide groceries. And she kept begging, and it was loud. In fact, a neighbor could hear. Neighbor next door had his windows open because it was a hot summer day, and he could hear her, and she just kept praying, kept on and on, begging God to please provide to meet her need. She was so hungry. And this atheist got so irritated by it, he goes, that's enough, that's enough. So he just got in the car, went to the grocery store, bought some groceries, went to her door, put them at her door, and knocked on the door and thought, I'm gonna gonna end this and I'm gonna play a trick on her at the same time. So when he hid hid in the bushes and she came out, she just saw the groceries and she said, thank you, Lord. And she put them, started putting them away, and she began to pray just as loud as she was before. Thank you, Lord. I knew you would figure out a way, Lord. I don't know how you did this, but thank you, Lord, for providing, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord. She's kept doing it. And so he finally decided to come out of the bushes and go to the front door, knock on her door. She opened the door, stopped praying, and he said, look, lady, um, there, there is no God. I went to the store. I heard you praying. I went to the store and I bought these groceries with my own money and I dropped them off at your door and I knocked on the door. So there is no God. I did it. And she said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. He got angry. He said, lady, you're not listening to me. I did it. There is no God. I paid for these groceries. And she said, thank you, Lord. And you made the devil pay for it. We're going to talk about people who are not Christians in a little bit, but John 14 at 1 to 6 is our text today. Jesus is the only way. Dr. Paul T. Butler said this, chapter 14 has been read, quoted, and preached for nearly 2,000 years at times of sorrow, stress, and bereavement. It has been a constant source of strength and consolation. This is exactly the purpose it was intended to serve when Jesus uttered it. And that's our text today is the beginning of John 14. I was very tempted to give you some information that will wait till we actually have our first 2.0 class here. We will have that one of these days, and I'll give you the information, but I'll give you this at least. This book that this comes from is College Press textbook series. They're very, very valuable books in my opinion, but actually right now you can buy a set of some Old Testament ones and a few New Testament ones for 300 bucks on eBay. Just saying it's out there. I've got most of them. John chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to back up because we've got to get to chapter 14. You remember this from a few weeks ago. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I so love that introduction to chapter 13. You'll remember the image as he's loving them to the end, and you see the arrow that's pointing to who I think is Peter, because he's in deep reflection of what he was told. And it was heavy, very heavy. In this intimate moment, you know that Judas is already gone by this time, because you can count. There's only 11 disciples there. So there is one that's very disturbed. He's the one that's only sitting up with a, a much higher posture and a different expression on his face, like he's deeply thinking about something that's troubling him. And we should go there just for a minute so you can see and remember in context what's happening. So we look at chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. <laughs> the next verse, verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. <laughs> yeah. Jesus answered in verse 38, the last verse of chapter 13. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You're supposed to hit that. Yeah. All right. So the rooster hadn't crowed at this time when they're sitting at the table. Look at that image again. But it's going to crow. What that means is by morning, Peter, <laughs> you say you're going to lay down your life for me, but you're going to die, deny me three times. Now, Judas has already gotten up. He's been told he's going to betray Jesus. And Jesus told him, go do what you're going to do. And then Peter has now been told he's going to deny Jesus right after he says, I, will, I'm going to, I would die for you. Tell me I can't go there. I would die for you. Oh, yeah. Well, you're going to deny me three times by morning. It's only a few hours away. No wonder he's deep in thought. No wonder he's troubled by what he was just told. He was just told he's going to utterly disappoint the Lord. And he thinks more highly of himself than he ought. Now, after that verse... It continues. So it's the same room, same dialogue, but chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare, or I'm sorry, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, there's a lot here. I oftentimes will take out the little notes, the little, you see the little letters up there. There's three of them in this little chunk today, and that's a, that directs you to a, a footnote that's at the end of the page in your particular Bible. You might have different letters. You might have it uh, worded differently. Oh, did I give you a quote? Did I skip something? We have a quote up there. 
Uh, we're not ready for it yet, but that's okay. We'll read it in a minute. So those three letters are there indicating some issues. Now, I read out of the English Standard Version of the Bible, and the reason why I do is because I believe it is a very literal translation, but readable. So I believe it's actually true to the original language. I was going to spend some time with what I normally do and give you what all these notes are about and go, go a little deeper than your Bibles do in the footnotes. You can do that on your own. What you have is a good translation. I'm just going to leave it at that. And if yours says something a little different, uh, lean on the ESV on this particular one. It does a good job. Now, to the quote from P.T. Butler. This is powerful right here. Dr. Paul Butler said, The two verses verses 2 and 3, contain one of those statements of Jesus, which this side of his resurrection grips and electrifies the heart with love and hope because of the tenderness of the words. All of the words quoted beside the deathbed, the open coffin, and the graveside, these would probably be repeated most often of all of the words. And well, they should be. But as words of life and strength, they should be preached, believed, and practiced before the time of the open coffin. Wow. So true. But if we could, the next slide is the same verse again as uh, verse 3. Look at that first verse again. So Jesus springboards off of telling Peter, you are going to Deny me three times by morning. Right after that, it's probably not only Peter that's troubled. Many of them are probably thinking, oh my goodness, if Peter's going to mess up that bad, what am I going to do? I hope I don't mess up like that. But Peter was just told he's going to mess up royally. We already know Judas, who was trusted with the money, he's going to mess up even worse. So I, if it were me and I'm sitting there, you know, or laying there by the table, I'm thinking... Is he about to single me out too? Because I mess up a lot. But he says, he springboards into, let not your hearts be troubled. My heart would be troubled. And what they don't know is their faith is going to be tested to the extreme in the days and the weeks to come. They are going to watch this person who is the way to heaven they're going to watch the Messiah, the one that's been leading them. They're going to watch him be falsely accused. They're going to watch him go through a circus of a trial, multiple ones. They're going to watch him be tortured, made fun of, disrespected, and crucified, killed. If you don't think that could rock their faith. You're not paying attention. I mean, they... So no wonder he says, after he says such troubling things, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because about that time, everybody's heart's troubled. And they don't even know what's coming. They don't, they don't have a clue. But he says, believe in God and believe also in me. And he tells them, and you need to know this part, this this, in my father's house are many rooms. Like I said, you can see different things in different texts. 
But the English translation over out of the Koine Greek from the Hebrew is not exactly nailing it in any translations. Because the idea is this place is a place to rest. Our bedrooms are very different today than they used to be. In people's bedrooms, in fact, I've had all these lofty ideas. I've talked to Stephanie about it. You could ask her. I don't do it anymore. But I used to talk about, you know, we could mount a TV like right on the ceiling and just watch TV right here in bed. Uh, but I've learned bedrooms, not for watching TV. It shouldn't even be for staying on your phone and just scrolling. You should not do that. In fact, Back in the time when Jesus was saying these words, that's, that, that kind of stuff is far from their minds. When you go to bed, it's a, you should go to your room to rest. That's what the room's for. It's for rest. And that's the connotation we should be getting when he's describing this. And you'll see throughout Scripture many times when heaven is described that these spaces God has for us in heaven or for eternal rest. There's a reason why life on earth oftentimes feels like hell more than heaven, because if it felt like heaven on earth, why would we long for anything else? Heaven is supposed to be this place where we can imagine that we get to be in a place where we no longer are distracted from worshiping the Lord. I remember listening to a mother try very hard to explain to her child who was asking, uh, what's heaven going to be like? Oh, it's going to be a place where we, we get to worship and praise the Lord just all the time. And the child said, ah, that doesn't sound like fun. And the mom said, oh, well, when you get there, God will make it fun. And the reality is, if you don't enjoy that here now, you're probably not going to be there. You should think that through, actually. But this is a place of rest, of eternal rest that he's telling them. Right now, they're, they're very bothered by what's going on. They can tell the moment is tense, but they have no clue what's about to happen. They're confused. They're following, but they don't even know what they're getting into fully. They can feel the heaviness is coming. They can, they can sense from the Lord. He's actually said things, but so far they're not getting all of it. It's intentional. God's making sure they don't until later. But they know this is heavy. And so he says to them, there's a place for you. I'm going there. I have it re- I'll have it ready for you, and it's going to be good. You'll be able to rest. We're going to get past this. And so today, if maybe you need to hear that little piece in the middle of all this. Maybe you're going through stuff. Sometimes we go through health problems like, like me today. I'm not having to fake it like I have all week. All week long, it's been so hard just to stand upright. I mean, I can, I can do it for a couple of minutes, and then i got to sit down. My back was killing me. My back is bothering me, but the Lord has been gracious, and I can stand before you and not fake it right now. I'm okay. I, I can stand here and not be in a lot of pain, so that's good. But I can tell you that it's a, it's a good feeling when you know that rest is ahead It's a very good feeling knowing that eternal rest is ahead. I totally lost my track of thought there. I'll get back to it in a minute. If the Lord permits. But he's promised that he's going to prepare a place 
for them. And that at the end of it, in verse 4, he says, you know the way to where I'm going. And what happens next is kind of expected. I'm sure Jesus set this up. And and the right guy in the room at the right time, he's the perfect candidate to do this. So what happens next? Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So they're stressed. And he's saying, don't, 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 don't. It's going to be okay. Maybe you need to hear today. That's where I was going. Back to what I lost my track of. Uh, Maybe what the piece you need to hear is you're going through physical pain. You're going through financial struggles, relationship issues. Maybe the part you need to walk away with today is the Lord is preparing a place for you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And he says, you know the way. And of course, Thomas, it's just the likeliest person to do this. He's already kind of given us an idea that he's going to be this way. And later it becomes even clearer. Thomas, this is Thomas. Why wouldn't he be the one speaking up now? Peter's not going to do it. He's just been slammed. So Thomas does it. Uh, uh, Lord, we don't know. I would do that too. I would feel that like, He's telling me I know how, I, I don't know. Of course he knows they don't know what he's talking about. He's going, to, he's going to put an exclamation point on it right now. So they begin to get a little bit more of what he's been talking about. And he's going to land in verse 6. And this is the verse. This is the one, if it's not highlighted in your Bible and you highlight your Bible, this is the one you should highlight. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. About that time, if they were sitting upright like we imagine, but they're laying down. If they were sitting upright or standing, about that time their shoulders would just drop. Oh yeah, we know this. We know this. So there's a little bit of comfort. And that's what happens. I don't know if you have experienced it recently, but most of us have. When Jesus reveals to us what we need to hear so many times. Ah, that's right. I knew that. Have you felt that? And he says, and when he says... I am the way. I need you to back up for a, mem- for a minute and remember what we went over about that Hebrew word that is oftentimes transliterated as Yahweh. That's what he says. He's speaking Hebrew. It's recorded in Koine Greek. It's translated in English. And every disciple there who has any Hebrew background. And in other words, if they've had training in the Hebrew faith, not just the lineage, but the faith, if if they've been going to the temple, if they've been trained in the things of God, when someone says Yahweh, they're talking about God. That's the name of God. So when Jesus says, 
when Thomas asked him, hey, we don't, we don't know the way, we don't know the way. Jesus says, Yahweh. Oh, yeah. God. That's, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. And he starts with claiming to be deity himself. Yahweh. And they know this already. He's not just the way, but that's what they were asking. The way to the place where he's going. It's through me. Guys, you know this. Then he says, in the truth, because so far he's blown away his critics. Everything he says makes sense. Not only is it spiritual, it's reasonable and practical. So when he speaks, he is the best sage they've heard. They heard about Solomon. They read Solomon. Wisest man that would walk the planet that wasn't God in the flesh. And now there's God in the flesh right before them. He's the sage. <laughs> I don't know if you like that idea of being a sage in your community, in your family. It's not that complicated. If you really want to be a biblical sage... Learn this. You can't get smarter than God. <laughs> so the more you learn about this and the more that it flows out of your mouth, you're a sage and one that pleases the Lord. you got a lot going on right there. Learn this. Speak it. People will be blessed. And he doesn't just end with the truth. He also says on the way and the truth and the life. And it's a fascinating thing because he's taken us on this little journey just before he got here into this upper room. He's taken us on this journey. And remember how he was teaching out in the court of women and they had the four lamps out there that were really bright, lightening up the whole temple area. And as they're going through the ceremony in the Feast of Tabernacles, remember as the, the people, there was a ceremony going on where the, the priest was going down and he was drawing water and he's bringing it up and he says, I am the water, which means I'm the life. And then he also, as they're going up and they're lighting the lamps at night, that's lighting up the temple in the Jerusalem area. And he says, I'm the light of the world, which takes you back to the truth. He sheds light on things. And then he puts it all together when he says life. So when you memorize, when you think about this verse, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So many times what happens is we get, our, we get things a little bit tied up in our tongues and our brains. It's like when you're talking about uh, Lazarus, it might come out Lazarus because there's a town called Nazareth and Jesus was from there. So we get it mixed up and we might just slur it a little bit. Same thing. I, didn't Jesus say I'm the way and the truth and the life? And sometimes we might say light because we get it confused because he called himself the light just before. It's not that difficult if you put it all together and remember the main thing he's talking about because they're, they're going to go through so much struggles and he is going to be killed. They need to remember that last piece. I am the way and the truth and the life. It's not going to end on the cross. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if there's any doubt, he just really made it clear. He's the only way. There is no other way. But now we run into a little bit of a problem. We run into a problem because people, sometimes they play with Scripture. And we run into problems with that. So the, the most difficult 
I don't know if you know um, the New Testament books very well, but there's two books that are quite complicated in the New Testament. Revelation is the most figurative book in the Bible, and it's in the New Testament. And uh, there's a lot of money that people make on the book of Revelation, playing with it, because people are scared of it, so they, they'd rather have somebody tell them what it means than to read it. And the other book is Romans. You don't hear that very much. You don't hear that Romans is a difficult book, because there's a lot of people that will jump to Romans right off the bat and start acting like an expert. And because Romans is so complicated, people depend on the experts to understand it. In my first undergraduate seminary, Ozark Christian College, there is one class, only one class at the time when I was there, that graduating seniors only can take. In other words, a freshman, sophomore, and a junior, or a non-graduating senior cannot take this class. And that class is Romans. You better make sure you understand a lot of other things first before you launch into Romans, because it's complex. And I'll just show you a complexity right now. You'll see a scripture come up behind me. Romans chapter 11, verse 26, the first part of it says, And in this way all Israel will be saved. Yes, I know, I yanked it out of context, but it does say that. And there's a lot of books and a lot of preachers, a lot of televangelists, a lot of material out there for many years where people keep saying this out of context. All Israel will be saved. And they just yank it out of there. They don't even pay attention to chapter 9. They don't pay attention to chapter 12. Uh, they just throw that out there. I had a man sitting in a church service on a Sunday night speak out. And he said, he's in the back of the room. Nobody knew him. He was brand new. He came to church with an agenda. He's in the back of the room and he said, um, we all need to be heading to Jerusalem somehow, some way. My family and I, we're going to move there. We're going to get there. Why? Because you got to get to Jerusalem or you're not going to be saved. I mean, all Israel's going to be saved. This was his verse. And he'd been listening to somebody somewhere tell him that, hey, the signs, the signs of the times, you better get to, to Jerusalem. What, what signs are you talking about? And he's, of course, talking about Matthew chapter 24, which is talking about the destruction of the temple. Here's the signs. And when you see these signs, you know the temple's going to get destroyed. Well, Whoever was teaching him was doing a popular, trendy thing. Oh, this is talking about the end of the world. Oh, so we've got to get to Jerusalem because they took that Romans passage. The problem is in Matthew 24, if you do believe that's the end of the world, and if, if you want to read it and believe that, this, all these signs, what does it say to do? Does it say to get to Jerusalem or does it say to get out of Jerusalem? It says to get away, leave Judea is what it says. But that's what false teachers do. They anticipate that people will listen to their words, they'll quote a few scriptures, and they won't look it up themselves. I encourage you, study a lot of the Bible before you jump into Romans. Don't pay attention to commentaries. Read it for yourself and learn. Then later, check yourself against commentaries. Because there's a lot of them out there that say that every Jew will go to heaven. If you're Jewish, you're going to heaven no matter what. But hold on a minute. 
What did Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 6? Let's not forget. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the context in which he said it is, I'm going to prepare a place for you, which is heaven, ultimate place of rest. And he said, I'm the way. And no one gets to the Father except through me. There's no way to heaven except through Jesus. Jew or Gentile, if you don't know Jesus, you don't get to go. It's a pretty rudimentary teaching of the gospel. We can't just pick a verse and say, well, those people, they can just keep on murdering and keep on raping and keep on doing whatever. They're still going to go. No, you have to know Jesus. And not only do you have to know him, you have to live for him. You should read the rest of the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we need to address another issue. You'll see this verse will go away. And now we're going to see a bumper sticker pop up behind us. You see this all over the place. Different variations of this. If you think it's incidental or accidental that the cross is usually at the end of this, it's not. But let's just quickly go through some of what we see here. You, we live in a world now where when you reject the ultimate resource for morality, <laughs> everything's just weird. Uh, people just come up with it. Just make up stuff. <laughs> and it's, just, it's absurd. And they think they're moral. Like killing babies. That's moral. How's that moral? How did that ever become moral? That's so weird. Anyway, and I don't care. I don't care what your political party is. I really don't care. I don't want to be a part of a political party. We're, I'm a Christian. I hope that's what we all try to stick to, no matter what Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever. I don't care. Let's do Christianity. How about that? And how about we influence all of them? And may they all get back on track. Christians... I don't, here's, while I'm on a, while I'm upsetting people, let me go ahead and say this. Uh, If you're going to cling to being a Republican or a Democrat or some other political party ahead of your Christianity, you have a problem. The Bible is our instruction book for life, not somebody's opinion of it, not, not some political platform. So, there you go. We're, we're church. We're about the Bible, not politics. So let's look at the bumper sticker. Uh, there's two. Aha, love it. The bottom one, coexist. Let's just look at the first one. Do you all know what the first one is? The crescent moon? What's that? Yes, that's for anyone who would be Muslim. The Islamic faith that began, if you want to go back that far, in the... Uh, appearance of the birth and the life of a man named Muhammad, a shepherder who married a rich woman, uh, in the 7th century AD. So I guess everybody in that faith went to hell before that because it didn't exist before that. But if you read much of the material in the Quran or other related materials, you will discover 
if you are not a follower of their belief system, you should not exist. Let's say it that way. Their way is the only way. Jesus is reduced to simply a prophet, just like Muhammad, and he is not the Son of God, not God, not the Messiah. But Muhammad was kind of a Messiah, and Allah is the only way. The only way in their faith. So the first one on the list does not want to teach coexisting. So that should tell you we have a problem with this bumper sticker. People put this bumper sticker on their car, and I'm, I'm moral because I just say, just, you know, I'll take it all. I'll accept it all. So you, really, you'll accept the Islamic faith that wants everyone else who doesn't believe like them dead? That's what you want? You, you, you believe that? They don't. They don't read far enough. They don't know. There's a reason why this bumper sticker exists and why people do this. They, <laughs> it has to do with the top one, tolerance. Stephanie and I were privileged to attend um, uh, Josh McDowell uh, at uh, North American Christian Convention. I can't remember if it was St. Louis or Dallas, one of them. We attended both of those. But it was a crazy time in the history of Restoration Churches because they had put, um, they made this poster, and I, I don't know well, but I know the guy that was behind it. But there was this poster of a bunch of different speakers, and all of the Restoration speakers were black and white, and the two that were non-Restoration preachers um, were in color on the poster. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. But we went to um, many workshops, and there was a lot of tension. One particular individual whose wife had unfortunately passed away early stood on the stage, and... um, Right in the center with a whole lot of people. If y'all have been to, anybody here been to a North American Christian convention? One? Nobody else? Two? Yeah, three, four? Few of us. And as he stood there on the stage, he was upset because his wife just passed away. And he said, when I was standing there next to my wife, and as she was And he was basically saying, you people have complained that I brought non-restoration preachers in here. And he said, when I was standing there next to my wife as she was dying, the last thing I I wanted to think about, last thing I was thinking of was the five finger steps of salvation. Last thing I was thinking of was baptism. And he was attacking anybody who criticized him for having speakers who taught things that were not necessarily biblical. It was weird, very weird. He was like scolding us. And I didn't have any issues with him until then. And then I attended, Stephanie and I attended Josh McDowell. We attended both of them. Bill Hybels was uh, one of the non-Restoration Church speakers. Got involved in a scandal shortly thereafter. Um, And I prayed for him. And then Josh McDowell, who's traveled the world teaching a lot of very good stuff. He teaches evidences uh, for Christianity, God, Jesus, and the Bible. Josh McDowell, it was a standing room only. The place was packed. And his subject was tolerance. And he said, this is the new morality in the world. Tolerance. They're pushing God aside. And he had this long lecture that was very good. And at the end, we stood up and applauded. Because what, I, what it felt like was happening at the North American Christian Convention was we were being too tolerant of some things. And he was calling everyone to get back to the Bible and only tolerate what God tolerates. 
That's what this, these bumper stickers are about. Just tolerate everything. Just tolerate it all. Tolerate everything. Until it happens to your family. Until something bad goes down, then you don't want to tolerate that anymore. But let's look at the second one, the one at the bottom, uh, the peace symbol. You, you, and it's the second one at the top, too. Most of you don't know this, but some of you do. What is the peace symbol, otherwise known as the crow's foot, otherwise known as the broken cross? The cross, broken. Because in the world of anarchy, in the world of rebelling against authority, say no to the big man, say no to the government, say no to all authority, to your parents, to law enforcement, say no to it all. The ultimate say no to is say no to the church in their minds because they don't believe in God. Say no to God is what they're saying. So you break the cross, say no to Christianity. The symbol of peace, the way people thought you get peace, get rid of the church. Because they tell us we can't do those illicit drugs. They tell us we can't do the orgies. They tell us we can't do the things we like. Get rid of the church. Coexist. The second one, the first group, don't want anyone else to live who don't think like them. The second group wants the church gone. Coexist. Do you see a problem with this whole theory? Right from the start, everything is. And you go through the whole thing and you'll see it's just the way it is. It's not about coexisting. Wish I had time to do all of that, but I don't have. I mean, you should look it up yourself. It's about tolerance. Well, let's talk about something else. You see, it was in the 90s when I went to a church camp. And I was very involved in the church camp in Texas. It was a wonderful campus. But in this, you need to back up. Um, let's see where you need to back up to. Back up to the coexist stuff. There you go. Yeah, now click. All right, now click and just leave it. Okay, so back there in Texas at this uh, wonderful camp and lots of great people that work there, I uh, brought some kids back to our church. I was the driver bringing them back. And as I brought them back, I heard some troubling things. Um, one of them that was in the car had made a decision to become a missionary. And she said that while they were at camp, um, the question was asked, um, people that, there's a couple of things. One of them was, do you need to be baptized? And uh, this particular youth minister told them, when the answer was, yes, you need to be baptized. And the youth minister told them, no, you do not. Do not let your parents, don't let your preachers, don't let your youth ministers, don't let your church tell you you need to be baptized. And I said, I think maybe you misunderstood him. They said, no, he actually gave us papers on that. <laughs> so that was, they had to mark out when they said, yes, you need to be baptized. They had to mark it out and put no. I said, well, that's, I'll look into that. 
But the, the Bible is correct. You can trust the Bible on this. And it says you need to be baptized. So trust that. And another thing uh, that she said was, and he asked the question, if there are people in a country somewhere far away and they don't know about Jesus, are they saved? And I put no, because that's why I want to become a missionary, because I need to tell them about Jesus. That's why I want to go. People need to know about Jesus. And so did he tell you something else? Yes, he told me to mark it out and say, yes, they're saved. Because nobody ever told them about Jesus, so they're, they're going to be saved. So I just, just so you know, I did approach the camp board. We talked about it, and uh, we... Uh, we uh, set some doctrinal boundaries in place and tried to undo what was done uh, that summer. You can see behind me, I don't know how well you can see it. Now you can kind of tell that's a world map up behind there. We get emotional sometimes. Like that's, that's what people do. Like I got a coexist bumper sticker on my car, so I'm moral. You might want to think something through before you put it on your car and say, hey, I believe this. Check it out. See if you really do. I mean, hey, if you really believe those things, you believe that people should be dead if they're not Muslim. If you believe the church needs to go away, you know, all those other things that go along with all those belief systems, which, by the way, they are all, all in conflict with each other, but whatever. Um, fine, but it doesn't align with Scripture. We get these... We get this, Emotional euphoria, euphoria, feeling good about ourselves because we're moral. The reality is, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you want to follow this light of thought that you think, okay, well, if people don't know about Jesus, then they're saved because it's not fair that they don't know about Jesus and, they, you know, it's, and nobody ever went and told them. So you could just say, well, it's, it, you know, they're going to be okay. They're going to be saved. If you go down that path, then we should stop preaching. We should stop teaching, stop reading our Bibles, because the more ignorant, or ignorant we are about Jesus and the Bible and God, the more saved we are. That's so absurd. It's, <laughs> there's a reason why throughout Scripture, thinking is a major part of our faith. You have to think it through not just feel it through. The reality is, my Bible and your Bible says, and if it's not highlighted yet, it should be, and the part you memorized already even today, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what the Bible says. That's not, not what I say. It's what Jesus said. So, now let's get to the so what. Three things. Let's go through them one at a time. First of all, Jesus is the only way. We just read that. It's pretty clear. John 14, 6. Second, everyone needs to know. And third, each of us has an obligation to share this. Imagine, if you will, that you have been attending Central Kitsap Christian Church. You've, you have been doing spiritual things. You've been reading your Bible. You've been praying. And the day comes when you stand before the Lord. Let's say there's a line because a lot of people want to go to heaven. So they're lined up. I'm, maybe they're, 
I don't know. I'm just visualizing in my head and trying to give you a visual. Maybe there's other people that'll go, I'm not going that line. I, I know better. I'm going over here. There might be that line too, but let's just say the people that want to go to heaven, they're lined up. And there you are, and you finally make it to the front of the line. And you're feeling pretty good. I prayed. I gave to charities. I uh, gave to the church. I, I went to church. I sang songs. I, I helped with uh, different programs in the church. I did good things, I, that sort of thing. And as you're standing in line, if you can imagine, there are people behind you that you know. Maybe this, you can imagine whoever you want. People in your family. People that you worked with. Next door neighbors. Same person you saw at the grocery store each time you love to go in their line. Whoever, just imagine whoever you want. They're in line behind you. And as you're standing there and somebody's standing there, I'm not going to say it's St. Peter's, that's a tradition that I don't know is biblical, but let's say somebody's standing in there and there's your, you're checking to see if your name's on the list. <laughs> Very much like in, in with Revelation, you know, scrolls. So they're looking and they see your name and as they're looking for your, or they're looking for your name and as they're looking for your name, they look over your shoulder and they see the people behind you that are wanting to get in. And they start looking on the list to see if those people are going to make it and what your role is in helping them. People of God, at some point in time, we've got to make a transition. It's great to study the Bible. It's great to get involved in learning as much as we can and absorbing. And we get this new author and we get this new um, video series or whatever it is we're doing and we're growing in our faith. That's wonderful to grow and grow and grow in your faith. But at some point in time, people of God, we have to cross over into not just all about me and me growing in my faith. I got to help those other people. They need to know. They need help getting closer to Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. And don't think for a minute that we get to just slide right into heaven if we're not helping other people get there. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. It silences the critics. It demonstrates where the flaws are because your light shines in all those dark places. It, it, it is in direct conflict with things that set themselves up to be wisdom or morality without you. It provides direction so that we know the way. And Lord, it's so compelling as you pull us in that direction, as you've prepared a place for each of us. Lord, we want to enter into that rest one day. And we want to please you in this life here on earth. So God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.